You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you all today. Just by way of announcement, um, if you were not present at the family meeting uh, in terms of the, the Zoom meeting, I would love to bring your attention to that. I believe, uh, James, correct me if I'm wrong, wherever you are, or Laurel, that video is on the Important Channel, correct? Yep. So on the Important Channel on Slack, if you weren't able to catch the family meeting, we'd encourage you to check that out. We had a really exciting announcement uh, about Justin and Laurel and their plan to transition to a leadership position in Ecuador with our partners in Ecuador. And so we're really excited about that for them. Yeah. And um, so if you if that's news to you, which we hope it's not, yeah, come on, clap it up. That's good. This is a really cool thing. Um, it's, it's, it's great for our partners in Ecuador. It's uh, sad for us. But as a church, we've gotten used to, over the course of 10 years, sending. And every time we send, we see that God always provides. And so there's no fear in sending. Uh, there can be some sorrow, right? Gospel goodbyes are never easy. But there's joy in that, knowing that God will provide for us, provide for them. And a spirit of generosity, which we're going to talk about this morning, um, permeates all that we are as followers of Christ. And that, that corresponds to a, a DNA where we send, we joyfully send. We don't hoard people. We want to follow what God is doing and joyfully send. And so that's what we're all about. Uh, it's good for you to know that if you're new here this morning. So talk to Justin Laurel. They're right back there in the middle, toward the back. If, if that's news to you, you want to ask them about that, please feel free to do that. All right, so we're in the middle of our sermon series about the vision of the vine. And we talk about gospel, and we talk about community, and we talk about mission quite a bit at the vine. And so last week we talked about the gospel from 1 Peter chapter 2. And today we're going to talk about community from 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to wrestle with my notes here so you guys give me some grace. Next, next week we'll have some clothespins or something. Right? Um, so, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. If you don't have that open, I'd encourage you to check that out with your Bible digitally or paper. And Peter is giving us a beautiful vision of community. It's, it's super straightforward. It's super clear. It's a recipe for church life that translates into the glory of God. And so one of my burdens for us as a church is that we don't just have buzzwords. Man, there's so many buzzwords. It's just part of our sociology, right? You use words over and over again, you just forget what they mean. And that can happen with us as well. Gospel, community, mission, blah, 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 right? What do they mean, though? And so that's why it's important for us to do this sermon series every year because we're forgetful people. We're prone to buzzwords, and today we're going to unpack what does community actually mean? What does it actually look like in the church? 
So real simple, if you want to talk community, just remember 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Just like last week I said, you want to remember gospel? Look at 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. You want to remember community? Look at 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. This is what it's supposed to look like. Before we dive into this, we have to understand the context. What is the context? Well, Peter is writing to a church that is persecuted, okay? And you'll see that if you keep reading in chapter 4. He just assumes that these folks go through what's called a fiery trial. That's the word that he uses, a fiery trial. So this is a community that's being persecuted. Now we're not, hey, thanks, awesome. Look at my wife. Give it up for my wife, Kim Nielsen. She thinks of everything. Thanks, babe. Love you. Um, we're not persecuted yet, yet, like they were, but we are facing a trial. And Steffi already prayed about it. It's, it's this pandemic, this COVID-19 trial. It's unprecedented. So it's not the same trial, but I think this text is going to apply in the same ways in terms of when there's a trial for the church, it always brings pressure. It always brings um, a temptation for relationships to get weird. And this text is going to help the church, the Vine Church, the church that Peter's directly writing to 2,000 years ago. It's going to help us be strong. It's going to help us be strong. And it's going to give glory to God, as we see in verse 11. So I want us to unpack this together. Look at verse 8. Look at what it says. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So first of all, he says, love earnestly. Love earnestly. Now imagine with me for a second. COVID has has stirred up a lot in us, hasn't it? I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to maybe assume the worst about people when you don't see them very often. Like, suspicion can grow in the soil of isolation. Now, what kills that seed from taking root in that soil? Well, Peter seems to think it's love. Like, what if my default setting is not to be suspicious of you or believe the worst about you, but my default setting is just, verse 8, to love you. That's my knee-jerk impulse with anybody I'm around in church. Like, love is my starting point. Love is the default setting. That's what Peter is asking. Look at the language, though. It's so important for us to look at the actual words of the text and think about it. Look at what he says. Above all. Above all. It's like when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he's like, I could have a tongue that can speak mysteries from God. I mean, this is my paraphrase. I haven't memorized it. I could comprehend mysteries of the heavens. I could speak in tongues of angels, 
But if I have not love, it's worthless. And Peter's saying the same thing, just different author, different words. He's saying above all. Like this is the ultimate priority, above all. Love. Love is the ultimate priority for God's people in God's church. And look, he, he, he stresses it again with the word. In, in the ESV, it says earnestly. Love one another earnestly. This isn't like a wishy-washy, like I'm just going to kind of be sort of nice to you and yeah, I'll, I'll like give you a smile. But no, it's earnestly. Above all, love one another earnestly. So man, this is just a vision for community. Super simple. Easier said than done though, right? But I want to just give you, you know, like a, something to just kind of hang your hat on as you think about relationships. What if every single time we interacted with one another in the church, in the lobby, in city group, at our city group serve, wherever we come in contact with one another, what if the number one thing I'm thinking of as my default setting is, how can I love you? How can I love this person as my default setting? You know, if, we, if we're honest with each other, like, man, that's not my default setting every time. I mean, a lot of times I'm just thinking about myself. Or I'm thinking, man, I'm feeling insecure right now. Or I'm, I'm wondering if this person is going to, you know, like going to accept me or whatever. Like, it's so easy for us to not be thinking, how can I love this person? But that's what Peter's calling us to. And this isn't just like a superficial nicey-niceiness. Sometimes love is complicated, right? Sometimes love means I might have to say a hard word to somebody because that's truly what's most loving. Sometimes love is, man, I just can't enable dysfunction, so I'm going to have to say something. I'm going to say it gently, but I'm going to say it truthfully. Sometimes love looks like not even saying anything at all. It might just mean this person is grieving, and I'm going to cry with them. Sometimes love might look like drawing a line in the sand and saying, man, this far, no farther. So I'm not here to say that, and I don't think Peter would say either, that love is simple. It's not simple. It's very complex based on the true needs of the other person. I'm not saying it's simple, but I'm just saying this. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Here we go. Hold on. This is why you have to memorize your sermon, right? Um, God is just simply asking us to make love the starting point. God is asking us to make love the starting point. And not even that you have to be somehow omniscient of the other person. And know exactly what the most loving thing is in that moment. That Only God could truly know that, right? I might not have the power to know that right answer. But Peter is just asking us at least to ask the question. Just have that question on my brain as I interact with someone. What's most loving for this person? I'm not thinking about myself. I'm going to think about them. What's most loving and then I'm just going to believe that God's going to provide the answer that I need in time to truly love that person. 
What's loving for this person? What's best for this person? How can I participate in that to the best of my ability? And it's not hard to figure out why Peter would say this, right? Because this kind of community is strong. This kind of community is strong. This kind of community is something that people want to be a part of. This is the kind of community that's going to have endurance during a pandemic. This is the kind of community that's going to have endurance during persecution. So, above all, love one another. That's my default setting in all of relationships. Right? Look at number two. What does he say? Verse nine. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So hospitality could be understood as welcoming. Welcoming. What what does that look like? What looks like welcoming somebody into the space that you own, okay? Welcoming someone into the space that you own. Another word for this quite simply could just be we all have a posture of generosity toward one another. This is what biblical community looks like. It looks like loving above all earnestly from the heart, and it looks like a posture of generosity toward one another. Another way to to say verse 9 could be showing generosity to one another without grumbling. And then allowing the truth of the gospel that we preach every week to empower this, to empower this. So think about what could be the fuel for this. What could be the fuel for this? Well, it's just what we preached last week. In the gospel, I remember who I am based on what Christ has done for me. So what has Christ done for me? Christ has laid down his life for me. That's ultimate generosity, right? He's welcomed me in through making a way for me to be a son or daughter of king, of the king, our heavenly father, the king of the universe, by laying down his life for me, rising from the dead. So, Man, in the gospel, I know I'm a massive recipient of generosity. That's who I am. And so if that's who I am, then that's who I'm going to be. Right? This is my identity. This is Christian identity. We are generous in light of how God has been so generous with us. So think about it like this. I was just playing my guitar a little bit ago. And when we first got married 22 years ago, um, one of my best friends in the world, one of my mentors, he was my youth pastor, he was a phenomenal guitar player, and he knew that I was really interested in growing uh, beyond just playing piano, but also learning to play the guitar. And so I was always borrowing his guitars. And then I'll never forget it, it's just one of those moments that you always can just kind of have lodged in your mind that you can't ever forget. He walks into where I was. He walks in the room, and he's carrying a guitar case. And it was this guitar right up here. 
It's a nice guitar. I mean, $1,100 guitar. And he bought it for me, just gave it to me as a gift. It blew me away. Blew me away. That level of generosity. And I haven't been given very many $1,100 gifts in my life. Blew me away. So does that type of generosity, does that empower me to want to be a hoarder of guitars? I said to myself, man, in light of this generosity that he showed me, how, how could I just hoard this guitar? So, man, people have asked me over the years, can I borrow your guitar? And I say, absolutely. See, that generosity that he showed me has changed my life, changed my heart. You want to borrow my guitar? Yeah, the answer is yes. I welcome them into what is mine, willing to share so biblical community is going to look like hospitality, translated as generosity, welcoming people into what is yours. So that might look like having people over for dinner. That might look like a, a, a broader spirit of generosity that's going to permit all, uh, permeate all of our community. And I just want to encourage us as a church right now, I see this among us. Your elders see this among us, right? You see it on Slack in various channels. I see it in our city group lives through the stories that, that are told. And it's beautiful. So Vine family, be encouraged. Like this is evidence of God's spirit being alive in us as we have a spirit of hospitality. Like Peter's just showing us what biblical community looks like. And, and I'm just saying, man, I see it in us. Let's keep going. Let's stay at it. So let's review what we have so far. Verse 8, biblical community is going to look like love. Above all, default setting. How can I love this person? Every interaction. How can I love this person? I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about them. And it's going to look like hospitality generosity. And finally, look at verse 10. We're, we are a people of service. Biblical community looks like using your gifts to serve for the strength of the church. Let me say that again. Biblical community looks like using your gifts to serve for the strengthening of the organization, the church. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, see the assumption there that it's every one of us? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So a third aspect of true biblical community, love, hospitality, generosity, and finally, service. Imagine this scenario. My son Taylor, he grows up, he gets married, buys a house. And as a dad, I want to be a blessing to him. So every uh, homeowner needs a lawnmower, right? And my, my man Taylor, he loves to mow the lawn. I hated to mow the lawn when I was his age, but he loves it. So I'm going to bless him as with a housewarming gift, and I'm going to buy him top-of-the-line 
lawnmower, right? All the bells and whistles, this thing's going to last forever. It's like the Mercedes-Benz of lawnmowers. And I'm going to give it to him as a gift. And I say to him, Taylor, I want you to have this amazing lawnmower as a housewarming gift, all right? But there's one thing I want to ask you to do with it. I want you to use this gift to be a blessing. There's some elderly folks in your neighborhood, and so I want you to mow, just pick two or three of them, and I want you to use this amazing gift to serve them. That's going to create strength in your neighborhood. And then a year later, I come back, and I, and I talk to him, and I hear that, hey, he just blew me off. And he's not using this gift to be a blessing to others. Now, does that honor me as a father? Does that honor the gift that he's been given? Like, that would grieve me as a father, right? Well, that's kind of the way that our heavenly father relates to us, his sons and daughters, when he gives us gifts. He doesn't give gifts to us to enable our selfishness. He gives us gifts to enable selflessness for the strengthening of what he calls the body of Christ, the church. So that the, if you can endure the metaphor, so that the body is healthy, strong, thriving. He gives gifts for the sake of the beauty of his community, the church. Look at verse 10. Look at it again. It's super clear. The gift is given to serve one another. It doesn't say the gift is given so that you can just hoard it yourself and enjoy how awesome you are with such amazing gifts. That's not what it says. It says the gift that you've been given, what? Is to serve one another. And I want you to see another implication from the text. Look at where it says, as each has received a gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. So there's various gifts, right? There is a diversity of gifts. We're not all the same in our gifting. And so you can see how this works, right? We don't have all the same gift or else the organization would be super out of balance. If everybody had the gift of service, there might not be someone to teach. If everybody had the gift of generosity, there might not be someone with the gift of practical needs like tech ministry. You see what I'm saying? So the implication here is that we've got to be in balance Because God has empowered us with various gifts, and when that works together, there's a web of working together that provides strength. And then look at verse 11. The translation that I've got here is God says to his people, go for it. Go for it. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. So if you have the oracles of God, you're going to go for it. That's the implication here. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So if you have strength that God is supplying, you're never going to run out. So you're going to go for it. So he's just saying, whatever gift you've been given, the implication is you're using it. 
You're using it. You're not on the sidelines. You're using it. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't show up to church and doesn't serve with the gift they've been given. That just doesn't exist. It's not possible. The implication from 1 Peter 4 is that if you say you love the Lord, you're engaged with an actual group of people. It doesn't have to be the vine. It just has to be somewhere. And you're using the gifts that you've been given to serve. To serve. See that here? So don't hold back. Go for it. Imagine this. If I don't use my gift, there's a weakening of the body of Christ. There's a weakening of the organization. If you don't use your gift that you've been given, and you, if you don't go for it, there's a, this church is not as strong as it could be. This mission isn't moving forward to see the kingdom of God expand in our world as, as powerfully as it could be. So if you understand it this way, as, as Peter is outlining it in verse 11, there's a lot at stake here. We don't want to see God's organization weakened if we truly know what it's all about, right? So we need everybody. Everybody's got to be on board using their gift for the strengthening of the church. So if you kind of feel like you've been on the sidelines, I want to encourage you to get in the game. And maybe you don't know how. So if that's you, man, we would love to chat with you. Elders would love to talk to you. City group leaders would love to talk to you. Staff would love to talk to you. And help you figure out how to get in the game. So what's true biblical community? It's love above all. Earnestly. It's, it's showing hospitality, generosity. And finally, it's serving for the strengthening of the church. Well, you might be asking yourself, why? Why should we do all of this? And there's a lot of reasons we could probably come up with. But this is the reason that Peter gives us that gives the most power and endurance. Look at verse 11. He just tells us why. Look at the end of verse 11. Here's the why. In order that in everything... We may look good. That's not what it says. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what does that say? This whole thing, it's not about us. It's not about us. See that radical other-centeredness, the God-centeredness of why the church exists as a community with power and beauty? Peter's just saying, I want you to take these things seriously so that God can be glorified, so that he can look good, so that people can come into this organization called the church and say, man, this God that you guys worship He's amazing. He's amazing. Our existence right now in this parking lot is 
to display that God is great, that God is wonderful, that God is beautiful, that God is worthy to be trusted and treasured, how how in the world is that possibly going to happen? Well, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, I think about it in reverse. Think about this text in reverse. Think about this text upside down. And that can shine a light for us on the reality. What's the reverse of the text? What's the opposite of this text? If someone came to our gathering and they just saw people that obviously didn't love each other, like every little corner there were people like disputing with one another, angry words, or maybe just ignoring one another, everyone just glued to their phones, not welcoming, just doing our own thing, people that, man, had had needs that were expressed and those needs were never addressed, nobody ever hanging out, people suffering, no one paying attention, no, no, no bringing of meals, no helping with each other's kids, no showing financial generosity. What does that describe? It just describes selfishness. This isn't hard to figure out. A community of selfishness? Who wants to be part of that? Just get me out of there. That's draining. Like, would a community like that be a, a, a witness to those that don't know King Jesus? Would they see God as glorified, meaning, meaning like attractively beautiful? Why would you look at the father as beautiful if the kids are acting like petulant, stubborn, grumpy, infighting all the time? Why would you want to get to know that heavenly father? Would someone walk over here and say, man, I want to be part of this group. No, they'd be repulsed, right? Peter's saying that would be the anti-community. The anti-community. So seen in this way, consider the beauty of a community that loves. Just look at verse 8. Above all, love earnestly. Number one on the agenda, how can I love you? Not who's here to love me, but who here can I love? I'm going to need people less. I'm going to need their approval less. I'm going to need their compliments less. I'm going to need their acceptance less. I'm going to need people less, and I'm going to love people more. And you got a community that does that, watch out. That is powerful. Where everyone is reciprocating that kind of mindset, need people less, love people more. And then number two on the agenda is, man, how can I be generous? A lot of the generosity I've been shown in the gospel, how can I be generous? Number three on the agenda is, man, how am I wired as a person? How can I use the default settings of how my brain works to just serve the church to make it strong? How can I use my gifts Like, that's a beautiful community. And that's a community where God is truly 
glorified. God gets glory because when people walk in here and they don't know God and they wonder, what is it that's different about this place? We can explain to them, it's not us. It's Jesus Christ risen from the dead, alive in our hearts through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what's empowering this. If you see anything beautiful in this, in this church, if you see anything of 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, it's God's Holy Spirit alive in us. And so we, then we just give glory to God by pointing to him and not to us. See how that works? God gets the glory, we get the joy. Because this kind of community is a joy-filled community. So this morning, man, I'm just convinced that God knows what he's talking about. I've seen it. I've seen it in us. This is the kind of community that can weather some storms. And this is the kind of community that gives God great glory because we know it's not about us. It's about him and him looking beautifully attractive as God. So I just say, I want to call us, Vine family, to go for it. To believe that God knows what he's talking about. And go for these verses. And we can be quick to repent when we fail and start all over again. And rejoice in what Christ has accomplished for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this truth this morning. We thank you for this vision of community that's so powerful. And we pray by your spirit that you would make it true of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.